Christie's personal log. Where do I begin? I mean, Jordy is a nice guy, but wow, talk about a swing and a miss. Beach was a nice touch, but the inclusion of a violin playing pirate did nothing in Jordy's favor. I ended that date right then and there. The pirate and I are going out next Wednesday. Welcome to Reengage, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So, ignore thousand-year-old distress signals and let's re-engage. Hello and welcome. <laughs> Once again to re-engage, uh, and this our episode for booby trap, uh, which will always make me laugh. To say never Maybe. not make me laugh. Speaking of things that never make me not laugh, it's uh, all of my cultural bridge officer friends. Hello, starting with Jimmy G. How are you? I- I'm very good. I want to give a shout out to Finland, who put us at number ninety-seven on the TV wow. reviews list. So hashtag. Finland rules. <laughs> I have been to Finland. Well, the thing, that's wonderful, Eric Gratton. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I just wanted to share with my friends that I, I spent a couple of days in Helsinki about 30 years ago. It's great to see all three of you. <laughs> and finally, uh, great to see uh, Greg Tito. Hello, Greg. Hi, Finland, Finland, Finland. It's the country <laughs> where I want to be. Very excited uh, that you are listening all the way from there and for boobies. I'm always excited for boobies. <laughs> Indeed, aren't we all? Uh, except for when they're a trap, which they often are, in my experience. Um, so uh, let's look at our star date of 43205.6, which translates into an air date of October 30th. 1989, Halloween week, 1989. Greg, tell us what was happening in the world. Well, this was one of those times where I was looking at the dates uh, and there wasn't really anything that popped out at me. You know, the World Series we talked about in the last couple ended. Uh, The Oakland A's beat the San Francisco Giants. The pitcher, Dave Stewart, was MVP. Ozzie Newsom ended his NFL streak of 150 consecutive game receptions on October 29th. Nothing really popped out of something really interesting to talk about. But then I looked up the Flag Protection Act of 1989 went into effect on October 30th. And there were mass protests in Seattle and New York in response to this act passing. And I went down like a little rabbit hole about burning the flag and how... That was a thing. I do remember it being talked about quite a bit in the 80s, probably around this time as when we were watching this because of all of these things that happened. Uh, Basically, laws were passed after the Vietnam War to uh, in 48 out of the 50 states saying it was it was illegal to burn the flag of the United States. A person in Texas uh, by the name of Johnson was arrested in the 1984 uh, Republican National Convention for burning the flag. And his case went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and they struck down those laws. They said that the First Amendment was more important than an object, and they said that he was just uh, exercising his rights to free speech. It didn't matter that it was the flag that he was burning. And so there was a new law that was put in place, uh, basically circumventing their uh, logic in the Supreme Court. And that law went into effect right when this episode uh, aired. And again, those protests happened. Uh, several people burned the flag when the like the date that the law went into effect, basically just to thumb their nose at the law. Several of those people were arrested. They were put in, in jail, fined to, uh, thousands of dollars. And then uh, the Supreme Court struck down that law in 1990. So it was a important little bit of... of law here uh, happening right when this episode was 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 being aired. And ever since, the Republican Party has been in favor of a constitutional amendment against flag burning, which they see as the way to get it past the Supreme Court. I'm not certain the Supreme Court needs it at this point. I know they're, they're, they're screwing up enough. Also, the fact that if you're talking about desecrating a, a symbol of our country, don't print it on, you know, boxer shorts and brassieres and like all the things that so many 
flag people made money on after September 11th. Like it feels a little bit disingenuous if you're going to say you can't burn it, but you can certainly put it up your butt. What about sexy lingerie? Is that okay? That's that's totally fine. That's protected. Well, in, that's one of the things in the 60s too. That's that's the, one of the whole things that some of the protesters in Chicago uh, dealt with in particular was putting the American flag on their clothing. And that was something that hippies did to piss off the right wing. Yeah. And it's something the right wing co-opted in the 80s when country stars started. Doing. To the point now where if I see someone wearing an American flag piece of clothing, I'm like, mm, and I, we're getting off on the wrong foot. <laughs> That's why I always carry my Canadian flag wherever I go. <laughs> I'm not from there. I just carry their flag. It's important for you to know that. Yeah. Well, fantastic, Greg. Thank you for taking us down that rabbit hole of, of free speech um, and, <laughs> and consequences. <laughs> In pop culture world, y'all, Janet Jackson could not be stopped oh, yeah. with Miss You Much. So we're still on the billboards with that. On the uh, billboard R&B list, top of the list, was Don't Be Cruel by Bobby Brown. Oh, a, a fantastic oh wow, song. Yeah. yeah. On Broadway, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis opened at the Gershwin Theater for 253 performances. Look Who's Talking uh, topped the movie charts, while young Nastia Lukin, Russian and American gymnast, was born that week. And that takes us all the way back to October 30th, 1989. That's what is happening. What's <laughs> happening in uh, behind the scenes, Jimmy G? Well, three things of note. This is, uh, we'll, we'll come across her name here in just a second when we talk about the director, but this was actually the very first Star Trek episode directed by a woman so you know better late than never i guess so welcome gabrielle to uh the canon the prolimian ship that we see was actually a redress of the uh husnock ship that we saw just a few episodes ago in uh survivors and this is where we first meet leah brahms won't be the last time we see her. Ooh, and like that's it. it from the the nemesic files they're now closed <laughs> I was going to make a like a clunking noise for it shutting. <coughs> Clunk. <laughs> Clunk. Clunk. Bum, bum. There we go. Uh, that's not taken anywhere, right? Bum, bum. Oh no! I'm hoping you can hear me. There's a problem on my end with an unstable internet connection. Can you not hear us, buddy? Oh, now he's gone. Now he's gone forever. We've lost Eric. The computer shut down his program because it was a non-essential. Oh, you're back. He's going to come back and try to talk as if no, <laughs> he hasn't been gone at all. <laughs> so I'm going to assume you've introduced the, uh, the guest star portion of the evening and just continue. So what happens in this particular episode is that there are three guest stars. Count them three. We'll start with one of my favorite film actors of all time, playing Captain Gaelic Sar. A couple of terrific monologues uh, on old DVDs, thousand-year-old DVDs. Albert Hall. Uh, he's very memorable in uh, the late 90s in Ally McBeal and The Practice as Judge Seymour Walsh, but he is certainly, certainly best known as the captain who leads the whole crew upriver in Apocalypse Now. Uh, just a fantastic, incredible performance uh, that he gave after doing some wonderful black exploitation movies in the early 70s, uh, all the way through Roots the Next Generation, fantastic decade for him. Uh, in the 80s, he continued with Fabulous Baker Boys, uh, a ton of terrific movies, including uh, he played Elijah Muhammad in Michael Mann's Ali. Uh, they were lucky as fuck to get him for this role. Yeah, his last uh, credit that I see on IMDb is that he was regular on Men of a Certain Age, which I really enjoyed. Uh, the 90s uh, had him fantastic in Rookie of the Year, if you remember him as the manager of the team in that one. Get on the Bus, Devil in a Blue Dress, one of my all-time favorite films, and he's fantastic in it. There's a great story about him that when Jeffrey Wright was working uh, with him on uh, Separate Equal with uh, Sidney Poitier, uh, Jeffrey Wright told him that Apocalypse Now is his favorite movie and that he'd seen him, you know, a hundred times. And Albert Hall gave him a book in which he wrote, Jeffrey, evolution is when a young actor comes up to you and says, I've seen your work, you know, a hundred or so times, and it has meaning to me. 
just an awesome actor. All right, second, and no less important, we have the aforementioned Susan Gibney as Dr. Leah Brahms in this episode as the fictional one, the next episode as the real one, and then she also was terrific uh, as Captain Benteen in Deep Space Nine, who was captain of USS Lakota. She was tested, screen tested for Janeway before it was offered to Genevieve Bougeau. And then when it fell through with her, she was tested again for it, but she was considered too young as she was when she tested for the Borg Queen and Seven of Nine. She did semi-regular work on Crossing Jordan, guest star on everything from Spencer for Hire to LA Law, The Equalizer, Party of Five, the very last two episodes, uh, the more recent Knight Rider, recurring on Di Diagnosis Murder and CSI, that old Alien Nation TV show that I fucking loved, but not as much as the movie, which is now on, I don't know, it's on something streaming now. Uh, the Larry Sanders Show, the last credit so far is We Are Still Here, that fantastic indie horror from a few years ago. Susan Gibney, what a career. And last but not least, by any stretch of the imagination, we have Julie freaking Warner, uh, Gen X hero of the 90s, big time 90s movie star, Doc Hollywood, Tommy Boy, Flatliners was her first major film. She was recurring on Party of Five, Nip Tuck. My favorite was the movie Indian Summer, which is a big chill-like thing set at a summer camp. Really delightful work by Julie freaking Warner, uh, who uh, Kate so wonderfully gave her uh, diary reading as Christy in the opening bit here. All right, that's it. I got no internet, so I, I hope the rest of the episode is as fun as the beginning was. Have fun, everybody. Yes, we're going to move on without Eric. The interwebs are not playing nice with him. You want to talk about the directors? Thank you, Jimmy. Speaking, yes, of directed by, this was directed by Gabriel Beaumont. As Jimmy told us, the first woman to direct Star Trek. Can't believe it took that long. Uh, she went on to direct seven other Next Generation episodes, as well as one Deep Space Nine and one Voyager. Her other directorial credits include MASH, The Dukes of Hazard, Miami Vice, Law and & Order, and Beverly Hills 90210. Wow. And she wrote and directed the 1998 TV film Diana, a tribute to the people's princess. The story was written by Michael Wagner and Ron Roman, teleplay by Ron Roman, Michael Piller, and Richard Danis. And I have a little thing of note. Uh, originally, it was actually supposed to be Picard having the experiences with Leah. Uh, but Michael Piller said, it just said to me, Picard should be on the bridge, not chatting with some woman. I said to myself, it should be Geordi because Geordi is in love with the ship. And this is a story about a guy in love with his 57 Chevy. So, <laughs> so true. As awkward as the story was. Right. <laughs> But interesting, like, I did think, like, okay, what would what would have changed had it been Picard, right? That would have been an interesting uh, change to everything. But uh, instead, I'm, gl I'm glad we got a, a Geordie story. Let's, let's dive on in, shall we? Shall we? We shall. We shall. Okay. So let's dive into the episode. We start with Geordie on the beach under the moonlight and a very disinterested looking woman. Uh, and this date is not going well. You can tell right from the beginning. So what does it need? A pirate with a violin, obviously. He tries the drinks first. Yes. And I just want to know what is in a cocoa no-no? <laughs> what is in a cocoa no-no? <laughs> it seems like a terrible name for a drink. Coco no no is like you never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> we don't talk about the Coco no yeah, no. No, no, no. It was no, the only no. good thing about this date that he spent supposedly days uh preparing. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Like he has spent so much time and and thought in all of this, and this is what he came up with. And it feels like such a hitter like such a miss for this particular person. Well, and you know what? It just now occurs to me. This is a fascinating uh, meta bit of information for TNG um, because like we can just go somewhere to places 
And if it's not good, you know, it's like, well, it's not my fault that the pirate guy got in your face. Like that was, you're right. That was totally inappropriate. Like, I don't know why he got so close to you, but that was Jordy's fault. He programmed this. Like that's a whole different stress level of you have to program every detail of your date, like everything, the way it looks, smells, feels, temperature, everything. So everything that can be disliked about your date, this hollow date, is your fault. It's not like going to Ten Ford and Guinan's having an off night. It's like, oh, this isn't like Guinan. This drink, you know, this Coco Nono is not as sweet as usual. <laughs> to me, it was like akin to like, uh, you know, creating a mixtape or like, you know, creating something that would be like, oh, here's, here's the thing that I did right. for you. The problem that's missing here, and I think th- this scene does a really good job of uh, showing it without telling us, was that he didn't think about her right. he didn't think about what she wanted or, or so have any he didn't think about conversation he didn't think about like what to talk to her about he just was thinking about uh getting the, the waves to look good uh the problem solving of the physics right. of those waves look really really good and then i'm gonna get those oh, some music with a snap she'll be so impressed when i snap my fingers and uh you know she can you can tell she was already kind of disengaged from the beginning right. i love i love her eye acting when the music starts it is so choice. Yeah, it's <laughs> we are her in that moment. <laughs> right. Yes, you're right. I mean, the whole thing, I felt like it was just uh, it was really lazy writing to make us feel how awkward it is and how, you know, Eeyore Jordy doesn't ever nobody ever likes him. Like they, they showed you everything that uh, you could dislike about that situation. Um, I didn't I didn't buy into it. Like I like unlike Greg, when you're like, I, I didn't think it was a great setup. I was just like, oh, they're really being heavy handed with how clumsy he is with this. Uh, well, it's, it seemed like what an, uh, a, I don't know, I'm saying he Jordy is a neurodivergent person, but it does seem like something that I've seen the, where, where they're not thinking about the, the actual conversation or not, or the actual uh, back and forth. They're just thinking about the romantic part of this date is going to be so great because I made uh, sandwiches and put it in a basket. And you're like, well, I don't, but the, your date doesn't like sandwiches. Like, so why would you do that? But what about the, uh, that slow hand over the shoulder? Oh, <laughs> I mean, gosh. It's like, he's uh, trying. It's crazy. Trying. Oh, he's trying he? so hard. <laughs> it's oh. like he's trying for a, a giggle. <laughs> it was like, uh, <laughs> like, you might as well just do a spit take there. You're you're so suave, Jimmy, but there are people and I have met who are just like Jordy in this situation. <laughs> that is love on a spectrum, my friend, not awkwardness. I mean, that, that's slowly trying to sneak your hand around a girl is creepy. <laughs> Maybe like almost you need to call a wharf in the security is like, this is inappropriate. <laughs> He's doing to me right now. Well, luckily, Christy uh, knows how to stand up and uh, for herself and uh, be very clear in her communication uh, (laughs) that that it's not going to happen. Uh, There's one little moment that I just adored where uh, he says, knock it off to the pirate guy. And (laughs) instead of disappearing, he just slowly starts to walk backwards. Funny way to deal with like that they don't have the money and the budget to make that thing disappear. Uh, so oh, you think that's? What oh yeah, I absolutely. Think this, this. He could just snap his fingers again and he would disappear. But right. they're like, nope. They only had it for one. They can only do the in, yeah. in or out, in or out. You decide. Well, we go to ten forward, and Wesley and Data are playing uh, one of those games that they play. That I'm sure someone has figured out how to play somewhere on the internet. They are going through sort of a uh, like a asteroid belt. It, it almost seems, and we find out that this is the scene of a, a final battle between uh, two warring sides that uh, mutually assured their destruction with each other. But then Jordy walks in and, uh-oh, says Wesley. Jordy had a big date. And Data says, uh-oh, because it's hilarious and adorable. Because it was just Pure perfect. comedy. Yeah, he's like, oh, I've learned what humans do when this happens to a friend. I will do the exact same intonation right. and inflection that you did, Wesley. I thought his Jordy's body language at the bar... It looked like he was trying to talk to the woman next to him, uh, like he was like he was mm. about to try to chat her up, and I was just waiting for her to be like, mm, "Let me take that drink and, and, and move away." 
<laughs> Slap. Yeah, because he does walk in like Eeyore. I mean, his whole body, when he comes, he's like, his arms are, <laughs> shoulders are kind of pumping. He's like, all the time I spent on that. <laughs> but at least we got to see Guinan. Oh, any time we get to see Guinan is a happy time in my times. On the bridge, we are receiving a signal that seems to be an old code. Uh, could there be survivors? No, of course not. Well, maybe. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> you never know. So we lay in a course and find a battle cruiser with no life signs. And Picard is super excited for that mm. ship, y'all. He is he is hot to trot when it comes to that ship. <laughs> yeah. And he tries to explain it to Riker about the whole, uh, you know, the next scene is them like talking about like the ship in the bottle. You ever go want to go into the ship in the bottle? And I just love how there's this stone face like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, this is not part of my childhood growing up. Right. Oh, it's such a it's such a hit or like hit and a miss with that. We find out that this this was probably a distress signal sent over a thousand years ago. So, of course, Riker wants to run a security sweep of the ship and Picard is having none of it. Is this the first time we hear him uh, issue? What does he call it? Captain's prerogative? Like, absolutely not. Captain's prerogative. Like I studied archaeology. He's going on that ship no matter what. And our archaeologist is dead, so there's no one. Well, that to is go true. Over. That is true. <laughs> we killed her off last episode. Yeah. No, he's done that before. I feel like that's a callback to the uh to the earlier conflict they tried to make up where where Riker wanted to always be on the away teams and it was the captain's place to 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 stay with the ship. I love how no one he says don't doubt no one gets it. Like he's just speak, like speaking to an empty room when he is trying to get enthusiasm for for yeah. ships in bottles. Uh, and he says, "Didn't you ever play with ships in bottles when you were a boy?" And Worf says, "I didn't play with toys." Brilliant. And Data says, "I was never a boy." <laughs> Just fantastic. And O'Brien's a kiss. And O'Brien! <laughs> totally. That's what Riker tries to imply. Right? As soon as they beam, Riker gives him the bullshit. Bullshit. You didn't play with ships in the bottle. No, I did. It was great fun. It was great fun. <laughs> I thought that was a nice little back and forth. Uh, O'Brien, I, I love how he's like the, uh, maybe it's just because he's Irish, but he's got that like whole working class kind of thing. He's like, I'm just this guy. I'm always here. I, I, I get what you're talking about. I get yeah. your references. Also, I just read uh, when Worf says the line, uh, I didn't play with toys. Apparently, that was a big blooper uh, that he said, I didn't play with boys. And the entire uh, crew and cast just went nuts laughing because he delivered it so deadpan. I'm sure. Uh, well, they get on the other ship and uh, there is a skeleton, which is scary, but actually very cool because the skeleton... Uh, the skull, I should say, has that cool ridge to it uh, yeah. that we see in the in the makeup. It's just a nice little carry through of continuity, which also means that that means that's their bone structure. Yeah, that's cool. It was really good makeup, I thought, to show these desiccated people. It's it's gross, but it's it was really brought forth the the oldness of the ship really well that you don't see on Star Trek too often. Yeah. Uh, also just this, this whole scene, as well as the callbacks to, you know, it belongs in a museum. Like I felt like this was very much had the, which is uh, Indiana Jones, the yes. last crusade on the brain when uh, they were writing this. And now I want to be like, did I have the timeline right? Cause last crusade hasn't come out yet. Oh, uh, 89. I want to say. Yeah. So which is what it, this it, is. Right. So they must have just seen it. And then they put all of these uh, kind of cues into this script. Look at you. Look at you starting up canon. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> Picard gets more excited about the interior of the ship than than he should be. Um, Just really loves that ship. He really loves it. Back in 10 forward, Jordy wants to know uh, from Guinan, is there something stronger? And Guinan admits she has a thing for bald men. Because mm -hmm. uh, because when she was hurting and needed help, one was kind to her. This stuck out for me when I was a kid. I remember watching this and being like, does she have something for Picard? Because my mom talked about Picard being bald and how she didn't usually like bald men, but she thought he was very attractive. Yeah. Uh, and that's half the reason why we were able to watch the show is that she dug... <laughs> 
uh, uh, Jean-Luc Picard, oh right? And so that's stuck in my brain for a long, long time. And I'm so glad that they bring it back for uh, the future episode where they go and uh, potentially get to meet yeah. or see the meeting between Picard and Guinan in that separate timeline. And that, you know, this this is an allusion to that potentially. Yeah. I figure at least one of her, however many husbands she's had, four at this point. No, that's Pulaski. Uh, Guinan has had... <laughs> Several. Se- several, several, several. And Jordy gives us the whole, I, I don't know how to talk to women. I know how to put together mechanical things. That's right. easy. Oh but you, like, it's so, it's that trope, right? Like, it's. Yeah. It was painful. I can do this and I can do that. And I can do this. But how come I can't talk to a woman? Including the, like, well, you're talking to me. Well, you don't count. <laughs> like, oh. Right. Feeling sorry for yourself. That's why. Or you think you're entitled to it. I don't know. <laughs> but you're, you need to spend some time with Troy, my friend. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this episode, it was never like that in any other episode. It's just this bottle episode where suddenly Jordy is uh, a-, a perv who can't talk to, <laughs> to women. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. I'm going to completely disagree with you, dude. I think, A, I think that they they allude to this earlier on, like that he- Where? Specific never... examples. <laughs> like, don't remember. I, I wish I had them. Because they're not there. They, they, <laughs> they, they don't they exist. We, 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 well, we listened to them uh, and her watched them together. Um, <laughs> I did. I'm pretty sure that it is uh, pointed at that. Like he's he's tried to go on dates and like he never, you know, I, I think- Maybe it was a season one episode, so maybe it's hard to, to remember. But I, I, it seems like they're pulling on those strings from before. Even the writers say that like, that's why they gave it to Jordy was because they they had had these notes in previous episodes. It was never the focus of an episode, but it was it was something that was mentioned. Um, and I have just I've met people like this. I know this 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 person and this character, and it is cringy, but it is also like part of growing up. It is part of like you know Jordy's <laughs> journey here, where you start yeah. to realize that like it, it is not you know, do X and get relationship, you have to, I don't know, be be invested in the entire experience instead of if I give a girl a flower, that means that she'll like me, right? Like, and that's just not, right. you know, that's a very adolescent way of thinking about uh, right. romance and, and dating. And this is Jordy growing up here. I think even in the course of this episode, we see him grow up. So I'll disagree and say they have to kind of have this this part here so that they can get to his growth for he's a man grown he's grown up starfleet uh changes a man (laughs) (laughs) regresses you (laughs) well i mean kind of right like if you were in your uh, if you don't date at all in school and then all of a sudden you're thrust into like adult life i mean seriously i know like three of my friends who are this dude who didn't really start dating until like 26 27 when they were like oh you mean you just like are nice? Having taught improv for years uh, to to tech guys who come in through the process, mm. um, who are often mm. in their uh, you know mid twenties to early thirties, and are like, I don't know how to talk to people. Please help me with that basic function. Uh, and yes, and I can help them. <laughs> uh, I guess I should make it clear. I don't. I don't disagree that people like this exist. <laughs> the way it's been implemented in this episode so far, I don't buy. Yes, you think I, I think I think Jimmy thinks it's a little uh, hackneyed, perhaps the way it is, or a little a little broad. Not not to put mm. words into your mouth. No, those are thank you. I appreciate them. <laughs> Back on the bridge, my uh, best friend Wesley is reading Strange Fluctuations. It bothers me. How much? Because O'Brien also saw strange fluctuations, fluctuations, Uh, fluctuations, (laughs) and they're very like they're very like. Oh, we should look into that. When like the computer has been taken over so many times at this point, right? Immediately be worried. (laughs) Red flags all abound. When is it ever to start malfunctioning and things don't go to shit? Right. Right. (laughs) It always means that something's up. Well, I mean, if you're actually, if the characters are aware of their existence in this universe, you almost, they'd have to wake up and go, they would have to be Eeyores, right? They'd have to wake up like, what the fuck's going to happen today? <laughs> I mean, worst case scenario, we have a menage a trois. Every other time is really bad. <laughs> oh, with- <laughs> Troy's mom wants Troy's to fuck mom, Picard. Yes. That's, as, that's as benign as it gets for us. <laughs> Everything else is life or death. <laughs> 
Oh, my, it's getting warm in here. Uh, <laughs> I miss Eric. <laughs> he, he, he really holds us together. It's true. Back on the other ship, they find, uh, I never know what these things are. They're, they're basically like info coils uh, that hold um, the captain's log. Uh, the captain gives the very solemn, my, my crew was awesome. I suck. I take full responsibility for this. And that's as much as we get. Yeah. And then Picard's like, we're done here. I'm like, oh, okay. That was pretty abrupt. Right. After after all of the like, I'm, this is amazing. It feels like he's over there like, mm, intriguing. Mm. <laughs> Captains do screw up sometimes, don't they? <laughs> but when they get back on the bridge, Picard is so fucking adorable. I can hardly even stand it. He is so excited about everything he saw and he's going to sleep so well that night. You can tell like he's had just such a big day, like with his big boy pants on going on that big away trip. Like, wow. My daughter told me uh, basically the plot of the Wings of Fire series uh, this evening. It is intense, y'all. I mean, she's on like ten, wow. book 10. There are so many like named dragons and it, and it was the exact same energy that Picard has here where he was just so excited to have someone who is not really even that interested, but wanted to just expound on the knowledge, the newfound knowledge that he had. It was very adorable. I childlike. love the little look Picard and Troy give each other. <laughs> That's the like, aww. Big guy. Oh, yeah. Let me pat your head a little bit. <laughs> but as soon as they go to leave, spoiler, like how, who could have thunk it? There are problems with energy loss uh, and radiation. I can attest to my own personal energy loss uh, sometimes. <laughs> Especially when you're trying to leave a, leave a booby trap. <laughs> it's a nice acting moment from Stuart there too when they talk about the energy loss because he does he's very subtle he doesn't overreact to it or make a big facial expression like oh my goodness there's danger shows mild interest like yeah proceed with caution uh, and it struck me that this is you know that was a nice master class and you don't have to do much if the language is yeah. there the, the audience knows what you're thinking and feeling you don't have to show us what to feel just be simple and we'll be there with you. Not everybody does that in this episode. <laughs> so you're saying that's when he like first realized the the trap was set, but he doesn't overplay it. And yeah. Also, he was like, it. I got to reel it back for some of these actors. They're going to. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, LeVar. This isn't reading Rainbow. This is how you do it. Let me show you how we do it to the RSC. Jordy very subtly and quietly says we should be going like a bat out of hell. And uh, we figure out that we have fallen into a thousand year old booby trap, which is still fun to say. I just want to say I love that the, the actual like trap takes what is this the second act you know the end of the second act uh, almost halfway through the episode to really yes. get the main problem of what's happening here. So it's a lot of setup and it actually just shows that this is much more of a a character study uh, or you know a, a character story about Jordy and his journey that just happens to have the you know the sci-fi trappings yeah. going on. Yeah. At the conference room, we find out the shields will fail in three hours. So Riker thinks, let's just go back to the other ship. Why not? Uh, so that's what they decide to do. That's basically all that happens in that scene. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, it's, Riker's kind of like, if I would have went the first time. None of this would have happened. I, more stuff would have been found anyways, right? Like, <laughs> that's why I go. <laughs> I'm a little more thorough. I'm a good man. And then later he calls it. We found... We found more of those circle discs things uh, that might have yes, some more info yes. on it. In an open locker, Which you way. could have seen had you... <laughs> Condescending look at the captain. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jordy is uh, looking for researching what anything. And so he goes back sort of to the beginnings of the ship and, and wants to know who this Leah Brams is. And so uh, he's able to get her voice which is interesting. Uh, he tries to joke with her and turns out he's just as bad with computer voices as he is with women <laughs> in holodeck situations. It is, the, it is the first time he meets his future wife, though, which is kind of interesting because he does say, like, it's nice to meet you. And she's like, what is your program? 
But it, it, I, I like that it was marked, at least uh, in the language, right? Like that he was trying to say that he was trying to be yes. as personable as possible, failing, of course. Right. But at least, you know, you get to see that like he's searching for connections. Yes. And it's a great line. It's a great. And it also, you know, it sets up really nicely the, these first few moments where she is all business. I think the actress plays it so nicely when she shifts. Yeah. Uh, yes. which, you know, we haven't quite gotten to yet, but she is so warm and so engaging. She gives Magil a run for her money for computer voice, right? I don't think that's totally. a, 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 a simple thing yeah. to have that voice that sounds, uh, it sounds like you can believe it. It, it um, you know, like they, uh, how many people did they audition to become the, you know, Siri voice before they found that woman? Right to be her and like her voice when she's first comes on is very magile like in terms of like ship white computer voice it was really good they learn they're gonna have to evacuate and seal off decks crusher is not optimistic says after the shields fall it will be 30 minutes until death uh and so we go 29 okay yes 30 <laughs> that's it yeah if we know anything about radiation Getting up to that point, you're free and clear. No 20, 29 damage. minutes and, and, and 49 seconds, you're fine. Uh, nothing. Nothing. You can walk away. <laughs> it's not even a night in the hospital. Jordy is able to uh, recreate the prototype room on Holodeck 3. And he gets just as kid in a candy store about this as Picard did when Picard goes on the ship. Uh, getting to walk into that room and see anything. He tries to get more out of the voice, but is denied access to the personal files and has the line, great, another woman who won't get personal with me on the holodeck. Y'all, can we talk about that line for a second? Oh my goodness. It's like the a journal entry from a convicted person. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, they actually said that? <laughs> So, I mean, it's such a great line, but it made him look so bad. Because right. <laughs> who's he delivering it for? That's the best part. It's like he's, it's this great line for no one. So finally, finally, she, she arrives. He says, uh, it's your baby. Show me. And poof, she appears looking like a Gibson girl. Do you know the Gibson girls, the 1920s? Mm -mm. That hairstyle is very Gibson mm. girl. Uh, it was like the quaffed females of the 20 or the not 20s. That was flappers. Anyway, that was, was flappers. flappers. We're talking like eight, late 18 uh, or 1900s. Nope. No, we're in 2000s now. Late 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're losing points in Finland. <laughs> it was a decade in the past, we'll just say. And they're able to figure stuff out uh, pretty pretty fast. He lets Picard know, hey, we've got some stuff figured out. Picard says, pass on my thanks to your team. And he, he doesn't say anything. It's creepy, right? <laughs> It's creepy. And are we going to like, he accidentally makes this woman up? <laughs> like it was all, all by accident. Cause he just, did I ask for this? And that's affirmative. Uh, Magil tells us you asked for uh, something to help out. And he's like, oh, it's a surprise. And then now aren't there image and likeness issues here? <laughs> like beyond anything that must be morally uh, suspect like you just can't use people's likeness and image on the holodeck right i mean by this time uh, I, I don't know like we we fictional fictional people this what happens on the holodeck really? stays on the holodeck <laughs> it's okay you can use anybody like you just walk in and there's another riker there on the bed and you're like sorry <laughs> this was a uh, personal space here right <laughs> Wouldn't you do training missions yeah, that's with what people? I was going to say, like, you know, 24th century training mission would, uh, Well, let's break this crack open. Yeah. Let's crack it open. A training mission, I think, would be approved. That's like a, a Federation-approved thing. Like, these these are probably actors or something. They get paid. It's like, hey, we're going to use your likeness and image for this training program, like they do in corporations now all the time. This is him using somebody without their knowledge. She appeared at that conference and signed there a waiver is. saying that her likeness <laughs> that and personality could be taken could, in by that, a computer and regurgitated to create this. Only in times where they're going to die in 30 minutes, though. There it is. 
even in in love in in loving terms as well like you and this includes intimate situations <laughs> but only if that person is saving a ship i feel like that's a Riker googling uh, uh yes. search topic uh, pretty soon how do i get us back on track i miss eric too on the deck it wouldn't have been any more on track uh, with eric no, no. Uh, on the bridge they are unable to read most of the coils that's sad uh, so let's go back to the holodeck. Uh, we've got a lot of little jump cuts here. And they're fighting. Uh, yeah. Is this we, the one where they're fighting? And they are just, well, no, no. The first thing, this is, this is not the fight. This is, I want to celebrate. And this is where he first puts, his, puts the personality in. Yes. Ah. So, uh, because she comes to life with great synthesizer music, y'all. It's like Mannequin. It's like the it movie Mannequin. It is like the movie Mannequin. Right. Yeah, yeah, but yes, you're you're right. On 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 the bridge, they 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 see the finally that the acetone assimilators, are, which are the generators, I guess. Uh, they're like, oh, that's what's causing all of these problems uh, outside. So we go back to the holodeck, and yes, they are fighting like like old lovers. Yeah, and I I love yeah. that jump cut because it uh, showed that once you find the right person, you're just going to be yelling at each other the entire time, and that's <laughs> love. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who's been married for a long time, it's, it's very oh. and when you're not fighting, it, it, you know you don't have that passion of 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 feeling the anger back and forth. You know there might be some warning signs happening there. I think. So I'm glad that they're getting this out of the way now. They they definitely have uh, uh, that burning underlying tension. Uh, the right. the will they or won't they? Sort of right from the beginning there, right? Uh, she says, I'm not used to people questioning my judgment. And he says, I'm not used to dying. <laughs> There's just this again, again, Jimmy. Let's talk about that line. I'm not used to dying. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to chew on. I mean, as an actor, that would have been fun to be giving carte blanche to go wherever your emotions want you to go. Uh, and well, how does he end it? Uh, you're damn right. Yes. Right. The, the the crux of the argument seems to be that she's talking about it in theoretical design terms, and he's like. This baby's got, you know, 500 miles under its hood and he like slaps the hood down and he's like, I know that I've replaced all the parts in and out. It's more my ship than it is yours. Yeah. And then she graciously uh, acknowledges that point and he says, damn right. And afterwards he says, I, I know my ship inside out. She says, then you know, must know me inside and out. Sounds like something a woman who's programmed to like you would say. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like that uh, a man wrote that. <laughs> Especially because immediately afterwards he has to go away and he says, don't go away. I mean, computer safe program, which just has to put a little bit of right. cold water <laughs> on what is happening. Which I really wish that Gabrielle would have cut back to a frozen leaf. Oh. Just to drive home that this is real, y'all. <laughs> it might feel like a cute love scene, but it's actually one person standing in a room with yellow lines <laughs> on the wall. Like this is really bad looking. Uh, if you have look at it through the real optics, <laughs> like strip away all the fantasy stuff, and you're like, Ooh. yeah, this is really one dimensional feelings this guy has. <laughs> This very easily, uh, yeah, turns into a, an episode of Westworld, right? Like, this very easily is just yeah. one of those, like... Yeah, yeah. Ugh. That's a good analogy I hadn't thought about. Speaking of, of bad choices, uh, back on the bridge, Worf has found a 0.1% weakness in the, in the generators. And they think, uh, well, let's shoot at it. And someone brings up the great <laughs> point that, like, well, yes. maybe it's going to feed off of the energy of our shot. And they're like, yeah, that is probably what's going to happen. Let's, take Let's do chance. it. Like, prepare the phasers, right? Is that an, is that a comparison to shooting your shot? Like, is that supposed to be like, look, it's you got a point zero zero one chance that Beyonce is going to go so out. So you're saying there's a chance. 
to sing. And who do you think Picard was talking to? Was he damning himself after it doesn't work? And he says, damn you. Right, damn you. Is he damning himself because he's the one who made the call? He shouldn't have... Uh, you shouldn't have went with it or damn the people that set the booby trap. Oh, it's such a good question. It's such a great moment too. Like it's so like the camera comes up from low uh, up to settle right on his face with that damn you. I hadn't thought about it oh, as uh, he should be saying it to himself though. I mean, uh, he, he made the aggressive choice. He's also being like, man, I really just wanted to get inside that ship in the bottle. And now <laughs> I, this is all my fault. It's, Back on the holodeck, uh, the computer says it's time to shut things down. It's it's a low battery situation, and we're going to conserve your energy so you can't play Wordle anymore. You have to to go into the settings. He's like, Mom, I told you don't interrupt me while I'm playing. Come on, Mom! Go pick up the phone. I'm connected to the internet. <laughs> it's going to take me forever to download that picture again. In the conference room, we find out that we are down to two hours of shields and 26 minutes of exposure uh, because Picard had to shoot his shot. Uh, so he took four minutes off of everybody's life with that maneuver. Uh, and they they say, if we resist, we die. If we don't resist, we die. And Jordy says, cool, can you turn back on my computer program? <laughs> I've got a simulation running down there that's very important and also very attractive. <laughs> and I love her and she loves me. <laughs> We're going to get married in the future. You think they stole the storyline from her from this episode? <laughs> they turn the power back on. They get back to work immediately. She figures out maybe if they can move faster then they can get out, right? That's sort of the, like, if I can maneuver these changes in a quick enough succession, it will confuse space, I guess. Just ahead of the power grab. Is this the massage? Yes, which goes into, uh, we're going to be able to move this bucket, and then she gives him a, you know, they're going to go out for Italian food, and then she gives him that back rub. And he says, don't do that. Which is perfect fodder for the Star Trek acid party scene in which uh, Abram's face is superimposed with uh, Pennywise from It. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where it's like, urgh, 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 and then they go back and it's Pennywise. Oh, my God. Don't do that. Yeah. It's such a good jump scare. It's amazing. I love, uh, she says, I thought it would feel good. And he says, I don't want to feel that good right now. And I thought, I don't want you to feel that good right now because I don't want to I don't want to be watching that. <laughs> right. I, it was uncomfortable. Like, the, the, as soon as I was like, oh, this is not, this is not right. This is very wrong. The next moment Picard walks in and he is yes. so clearly like, the fuck? <laughs> like. Yeah. <laughs> We're about to die and you're uh, doing porn <laughs> is this like a Riker minuet situation right. like what's happening I love here? he's so quiet and and Jordy's like um, this is Leah and then he's still <laughs> so quiet like he doesn't break it's just so patient and so <laughs> we were just uh we were watching a movie and the blanket was just, got cold, cold. Uh, that's why we have a blanket I so wish Harp or uh, Riker would have walked in right after I was like uh Where's, Where's the hearts? <laughs> right. <laughs> We're just like, <laughs> I've been there, buddy. <laughs> Keep it in your room next time. <laughs> their um, their solution is turn everything over to the computer, which means that Picard has to go sit in a very dark, ready room. Which at first I had forgotten that they had to turn off all essential things. I thought he was just being very emo and sitting in the dark. <laughs> then I was like, oh, right, no, they had to turn off the lights. It's okay. But he's still very emotional in that moment. As Riker comes in uh, and says, you know, basically, we'll, if we give up control to the computers, then everything will maybe be okay. And, and Riker is not so convinced. 
this one felt dated to me. Maybe I'm, maybe I don't know, it's crazy, but like I, I, there was definitely an, an idea, maybe it was through Tron and some of the other things around computers that they were going to take over, right? Like it was that whole idea that like you can't give control to a computer because they lack the human thing. It's even some of the lines. Right, here, right? yes. They, you know, they can't do that. And I feel like now we're just like, yeah, sure, self-driven cars, you know, fucking, you know, do everything. This computer's owning me. I don't me. trust any of it. Uh, I and, don't have, I don't see? talk to Alexa. I muted that Siri, bitch. I don't... <laughs> I don't fuck around with that shit. <laughs> so you're Riker. But in this world, it's their ship's already run by a computer. No, fair enough. What what trouble would they have? Uh, though his line is good. Is like, uh, I've been blown away or something by how well they take orders. It's yet to be seen how they can give yes. orders creatively. So, you know, it's like he wasn't untrustworthy of them entirely. It was just like, what can they do when they have to be freeform thinkers? But that's not what the problem is here. The problem uh, right. is here. Can you make the decisions fast enough to get through the minefield and get out? Right. It's not. This like the first step, Greg. We all know it. <laughs> Next is Skynet, and we're all going to die. And uh, when we see what actually happens, like, uh, there was no thousand decisions a second here. It was all pretty, pretty slow and easy. Like even their camera shots of finger going down to hit the arrow button. <laughs> Let's let's get to that. Let's get to that. Uh, we 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 will blow past where we yeah. are in the holodeck, running simulations and dying. We get to klaxons, and anytime right. you get to klaxons, you know that shit is about to go down. Right? That that burp, burp sound. The only thing we get out of that scene is Jordy decides, you know, a human can do human this better, do this, or at least just as well, right? Because there's that right. It's fifty fifty. It's crapshoot. So his great idea is. Let's depower down everything. Like, let's stop feeding it energy. And that, like, that's the big breakthrough is that they realize that, like, if we just do this with the, the least amount of processing power and energy needed, maybe that will give us enough off the inertia uh, to, yeah. to Here, get by. Play the opposite. Here's what I was missing was the finger trap analogy. I needed I needed data to have been trapped in one of those finger, you know, the Chinese finger traps is what they, we called them as kids. Uh, but where you stick yes. your hand and fingers in and the harder you pull, the more impossible it is to get them out. But when you relax, then the friction goes or the, it goes away and you can actually get out. That's what this episode is all about. They already used that one though, right? So they couldn't go oh, back shit, to it. Oh shit, they did. Is that is that earlier? <laughs> yeah. Oh fuck, right. And he gives yeah. that, that was, was the that. same episode where Jordy was awkward with with women too. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. <laughs> Can't. Right, so you, you you're saying Kate that you just didn't get like the basic premise of what he was trying to, to uh, do no. here you just needed to have a visual would have made it really i just better. needed a visual and maybe i just had a vision of my head of data with one of those on his fingers and that's because it happened good job me <laughs> i like to envision things that happened some people call them memories i call them great ideas <laughs> So yeah, let's talk about what happens. Picard says, I'll do it. Now, first of all, Jordy has been running the simulation repeatedly and knows exactly the situation that's going on. So clearly he cannot be the one that does this. It has to be Picard, right? Yeah. Well, he's not uh, not certified to be on the NAVCON. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> <laughs> not anybody can just sit there and hit left arrow right arrow Kate. yes how does this compare to the Riker maneuver of, of season one right like well at least he's actually doing something <laughs> fair uh, enough not telling other people drive forward be careful do your best <laughs> go team and we're docking I did miss uh, Star Trek Discovery has this thing where it's got programmable matter on the consoles. Oh, and so yeah, they can actually cool. create sticks and steering wheels and things like that when they're like need to dramatize this. Having that console flat and him Beep. doing yeah. that finger Beep. pressing yeah. thing, it just doesn't feel like Beep. piloting to Beep. me. No. It's not Top Gun. Very it's passive. not that like visceral, like he's trying to do this type of thing. And also, why can't he just communicate that he's trying to do this slingshot maneuver? 
Why does he have to keep it a secret? Steady. Because it would have uh, taken away Data's cool line. <laughs> I guess that's true. It makes it less dramatic. Yeah, because that was great when he was like, brilliant. He's just slingshot us around the asteroid. Nobody's done that since Star Trek Four. <laughs> no computer would have thought of this. Only a human would have thought of that. But speaking of the console, Greg, there was a moment, a few, a scene before, maybe it was in this scene, when Data comes back and he sits down. And um, it was one of those great scenes where the person sort of feels like, oh, the other, the regular person is here, so I got to get up. And like yeah. she, she gets up and he sits down, and he does this movement where he hits the console with his hand. And I, I'm totally reading into this, but it looked like there was a bit of annoyance on Data's face, like he was wiping away, however she was using the screen. Like he, he was like, "This is a stupid human way of using the screen." <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know how many errors I'm gonna have to fix. <laughs> you messed up all my macros. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I don't got on any other console things. Yeah, no, I definitely saw that. Um, but it is a good idea. I mean, he does, Picard does get them out uh, by this. And I read somewhere that this is like one of only three times that Picard takes mm -hmm. the con and actually uh, maneuvers the ship on his own. One of which we've seen before, which we've also been talking about is the the Binar episode, the 01101. He does it yes, as well yes. with, with when him and Riker are the only ones left on board. And in that moment... Everything becomes becomes fine again. I love how how right. anticlimactic that moment is, uh, much like my recollection of it just now. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. Like they're just like there's no like yeah we got out. It is just like a, right. okay, anyway, yeah, let's blow some shit up. <laughs> yeah, and then they're like <laughs> yeah, uh, and then we go back to the holodeck one last time so oh. that Jordy can awkwardly flirt some more you know we maybe we can do this again i'm with you every day jordy every time you look at it i it's me every time you touch it it's me and then they kiss and and it's upsetting because then he turns her off <laughs> every time you enter the shuttle bays you should be thinking of me it's just like i know they finally do get married but there's got to be some points when they do have a fight and she brings that up <laughs> I'm not a hologram, okay? I'm not going to pick up your pants just because I leave them there. Okay, Jordy. But yeah, they also have that weird speech about technology, too. It's like, yeah, technology's maybe they're more like you. They're Luddites, Kate. They're just like, nah, you know, I don't want the computers to, to tell me what to do. Maybe we do just have to turn them off sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes. Uh, so let's go final thoughts. Jimmy, what, what are your final thoughts on this? Oh, oh man. man, I'm going to give this four Amber Alerts. Oh. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I was uncomfortable with the whole Jordy thing uh, from the very first scene where he's on the beach all in every scene where we had to deal with him not being good with people, uh, in this case, women, it was... <laughs> It didn't work for me, and I was uncomfortable with the love scene. I felt like it was invasive. It was a big lie. Uh, like, it was dirty. It just felt dirty to me that he – and not that, you know, do what you want in your room, uh, but when it becomes almost sentient-like, <laughs> this is a whole new thing, and it was, uh, it was uncomfortable for me. I would say you have to watch it, though, if you love Star Trek, because this character of, uh, um, of Leah does come back, um, and – even though we don't get to see the fruition of their relationship, as Greg pointed out at the beginning, um, we we do know from Picard's comment that they're together. So however horribly it started, I'm assuming it ends beautifully um, in less pervy, but yeah. <laughs> Strong feelings from Mr. G. Uh, Greg, I, tell me. I'm going to go opposite. I, I really like this episode uh, as I've been arguing with Jimmy about this entire time. I, I did not find it. I mean, I, I, I acknowledge all the things that you're saying, but I don't think that uh, detracted from the drama of the episode. I think it, it increased it, right? Like I think it was uh, portrayed away. So I'm going to go with eight and a half uh, Daystrom Institute dates <laughs> that they went on after this uh, and actually had a, a, a fruitful conversation. I, I like the progression here of, of, of showing Jordy being 
awkward and not understanding how to communicate and then finding someone who he did connect with. And I think that's what needed, even though it was weird and strange and, and, and perhaps would not pass muster if it was uh, aware, you know, if Leah Brahms was aware or is aware of, of, of this construct of her that he fell in love with, it, it helped him, right? And I think that was what was important and interesting about it was that we saw a growth of a character in an episode that has also all of these really great hard sci-fi ideas and stories in it, like of having, you know, an ancient technology that, was still was able to ensnare even the the amazing technology that's on the enterprise it just it felt very much like a uh character story with sci-fi trappings that only star trek can do really well uh and so yeah i i dug it i think it's a great piece of television and you should definitely watch it not for the story stuff but for reinvestigating yourself and 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 what level of cringe you are okay with <laughs> okay. uh and i'm gonna go somewhere in the the middle between the two of you um and i think uh part of it is i'm 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 not as skeeved out as jimmy there there are things i find uh kind of clumsily endearing about the the what happens uh from a the standpoint of we do get to to see more about Jordy, uh, which I find you know fascinating because um, we don't get many episodes where we get to to hear from Jordy and 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 his personal life. Uh, but it is a little heavy handed for me. Um, some of the a little ham fisted uh, the way the dialogue is laid out uh, at times and a little clunky. So I'm gonna give it um, I'm gonna give it six. Um, ships in a bottle. Oh, yeah, six ships in a bottle. Nice. Thank you. Well Thank you. Uh, so that's it. We miss Eric. Uh, he'll be able to join us in the, on the next episode. This is what happens uh, with the internet. And he's the reason <laughs> Finland loves us so much. So hopefully he'll be right? back. And he did just text me. Y'all, his pants are wet. Oh, and oh, and Skynet is attacking his cottage. Oh shit! It's the diabetes. <laughs> what does that got to do with the price of cheese? <laughs> the diabetes. We appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready to re-engage. Squeeze, squawk, squawk.